Hey there, and welcome to The Jeffrey Van Dyke Show, a podcast for paradigm changers. Each week, I speak with another influential leader who's changing the conversation for their audience, their industry, and this world. I am so glad you're here. Welcome to the show. So often in the world of change making, of paradigm shifting, we talk about people having a voice, about people being heard, about listening across cultures, listening across the table. I think right now we are all very aware of how divisive our world is in the world of politics and how that spills over sometimes just in our own families. Patrice Gordon, I'm happy to have with us today because she is a pioneer in the world of reverse mentorship. Now, typically, this is when a junior executive or junior staff person in an organization mentors a senior person to give their perspective and, and share how their experience is. Patrice is using it in a particular way to help people that are typically underrepresented have a voice, be heard by people in higher levels of authority in organizations to help drive change. Uh, today we talk about her work of getting into this world of reverse mentorship, uh, about her history of, of uh, uh, being an executive uh, who has Jamaican roots, lives in England, being a person of color, being a woman, and driving chains at senior levels in organizations. Uh, she spearheaded the development of reverse mentoring at Virgin Atlantic with this initial focus of how race and ethnicity impact development in the workplace. Her efforts have been recognized by Richard Branson. Her work has been amplified by her TED Talk. In 2019, she was recognized as an Empower Ethnic Minority Future Leader, and in 2020 was named as a rising star by the We Are the City organization. Uh, she's a delightful human, a wicked smart woman, uh, and somebody that has learned to take the next step forward without always knowing where it's leading, which I think is an example that we could all bear to learn from as we uh, answer our calls. So it is a great pleasure to have her on the show. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoy it. I know I did. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you for being here, Patrice. Uh, it is so good to meet you, um, partially because I my sense of you is that you're in this prime space of really stepping into your voice in the world, uh, and uh, you know you've done a lot in your career, but there is now this larger audience listening to what you have to say, and uh, you know I think for thought leaders and for paradigm changers that 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 tipping point when we step into ah it's landing. Is getting traction. People are listening. Is a really cool place. Um, you did a TED talk that I know is part of what has put your work in front of many people. How did that come about? Uh, so I was the first reverse mentor at Virgin Atlantic uh, a few years ago, and it got picked up by kind of a Virgin News, I'd say. And subsequently, Richard and Holly became quite interested in the concept. Um, and I know they're pretty big on, you know, belonging in the workplace and really making sure all of the Virgin Group companies are, are filled with individuals who are willing to make a change. So I think my story really struck a chord with them and they had picked that up. 
So subsequent to that, I was nominated for a few awards across, um, really across the UK when it comes to kind of diversity, equity and inclusion uh, for people who are vested in their businesses to help drive change forward. So not as part of my day-to-day role, but really taking on the responsibility to drive change within the organisation. And Ted picked that up from both kind of Richard, um, I think, speaking about the reverse mentorship that we did at Virgin Atlantic, but also subsequently my um, We Are The City Award that I won and also my Empower Award, which is Ethnic Minorities in Business Award, which I won um, back in 2019 now. Um, So Ted picked it up from there. They reached out to me to say, oh, we're really interested in understanding a little bit more about the work that you've done. Would you be interested in exploring that with us? And this was in the height of lockdown yeah. in 2020. Um, so we had a really, I had a really good call with someone called Corey, and we just explored the um, concept a little bit more to really flesh out what I thought the key prerequisites were for setting up a successful reverse mentoring scheme. That is so cool. That is so cool. Um, and you're working on a book. You've got a book coming out as well, yeah? It is coming out on the 1st of November. We have a publishing date with Hachette US um, and it's called Reverse Mentoring, using it as a tool to build a more inclusive workplace. Uh, congratulations. That's really great. Thank um, you. Very excited. Yeah. Author in the making. <laughs> uh, tell us what reverse mentoring is. So reverse mentoring is the concept of allowing an underrepresented individual to have a voice. So really allowing them that safe space with a senior leader within the organization who has power around a decision-making table. It's allowing that leader and that underrepresented individual. And I say underrepresented because historically reverse mentoring has um, been founded on the premise that it was a younger person, a different generation mentoring a uh, esteemed um, executive, mm-hmm. right? But actually, actually, research has found, and especially subsequent to all the events that have happened over the past few years when it comes to change that is required in the world, it's actually much more effective if we use it as a tool to listen to underrepresented individuals. So not restricting it to age, but we can look at gender. That's becoming much more common. When we look at... Um, when we look at ethnicity, which is the big thing that people have been diving into recently, whether it's um, sexuality, sexual preference or disability, basically within all of our organisations, when we look at the leadership team tables, we need to understand what voice is not being heard and actually using reverse mentorship to develop that one-on-one relationship with the underrepresented individual so the leader can develop an understanding of someone's lived experience which is quite different to this, yeah. Um, but also really sitting at that table and thinking, right, I don't, I can't put myself in their shoes, but I can empathise. I can understand a little bit better because I've developed this one-on-one relationship with someone who's a bit, bit different to me and different to the individuals that are set around this decision-making table. I love that because it's so rare that we have the opportunity to talk to somebody that isn't normally in our circle, whatever our circle is. Uh, Right, that we we get so insulated and isolated in who we surround ourselves by, and therefore our worldview, uh, that it can become quite myopic. And you know, I think that mm-hmm. is a systemic problem in large organizations, especially. How did this come about? Like, 
how did you first get involved in reverse mentoring? Uh, in like, where, where's your origin story around this work? I like to call myself the unintended spokesperson. So every organization, <laughs> every, every, every organization I've been in, I find myself in this space where I um, am sat around the table with senior leaders, but also I'm the voice of the people as well. So I feel my voice transcends between, I, I accelerated my career really early, very quickly. And ab subsequent, I always was very close to people who I worked with at the start, but also I'm able to converse with senior leaders very well. And that's been a quality and a trait that I've always taken with me. Um, I always try to, when I'm at the decision making table, think about how our decisions are impacting our people. And as such, I always try to keep an ear to the ground. So this opportunity came up because I was sharing some of my views with the head of people and talent experience at Virgin Atlantic. And we used to catch up. She was kind of my mentor, my mentor um, coming into the business. And I was always really keen on making a change. I think when you accelerate really quickly in your career, I think you probably appreciate this. Um, you get to a certain level and you think, right, okay, how am I making a difference and how am I making an impact? Apart from the bottom line to the business, but what do I want my legacy to be? One of my favourite book is, one of my favourite books is um, a book by Sidney Frankenstein, which is around super bosses. So it's about what type of boss do you want to be? And when I accelerated really quickly, and I was a finance director at Royal Mail, I really had to sit back and ask myself, what do I want my legacy to be? And I vowed to myself that each organisation I go to, I need to have the ability to make a difference and make an impact. So when I first joined Virgin, there were a few things that I thought, we've got some great opportunities here and I really want to um, drive forward change and leave my mark. But one of the first things that I supported them and drove forward was our first finance graduate programme, essentially, a finance apprentice scheme. Such a great brand, such as Virgin Atlantic, with the reach that we had, we didn't have that. And so for me, that was really important to me. And the reverse mentoring was, again, one of those things where we were thinking of doing it the head of people experience said actually Craig is really interested in understanding the experience of a, a black female particularly because he didn't have a black female that he was close with in his circle and so he wanted that relationship to be facilitated and, and who is Craig and I was more than that. Craig sorry Craig Krieger the um, ex-CEO of Virgin Atlantic great so this was all started with Craig and um, I was more than happy more than happy to put myself forward and be part of of that process I'd met him a few times in meetings so he wasn't completely alien to me and I think the structure at Virgin is such that it's a very welcoming environment so you feel quite comfortable converse, conversing with senior leaders but this is not from a professional perspective this is more this personal and deeper right so really allowing myself to be vulnerable with him to kind of give him a plotted history of my life story and what my views were in terms of where I where I thought we could do better or where I feel like being a female or my race particularly might might have impacted me throughout my life's journey was it was it strange or difficult to be vulnerable to share personal information in a professional environment like was that or or, or is it that no because of the culture we already had I, I it wasn't such a big deal for me I think one of the things we have to really be conscious of is psychological safety 
and really acknowledging the whilst the culture might be really nice and safe actually in this environment where you're sharing you know some details with a senior leader it's important for you to set that up up front and so um estelle um, who set it up for us was very clear around boundaries how we keep the safe the space safe um and really the you know we were he was very open and i was very open in terms of being comfortable and saying actually i'm not comfortable in answering that or him being really open to saying is there any topic that's off limits mm -hmm. which i think if you're entering into that kind of environment we should really be conscious that there might be some topics that are off limits but also really honing in on that psychological safety the confidentiality piece and i think intentions are really important as well so part of my research has shown sorry go oh go ahead and um, part of my research has shown um that lots of organizations have started reverse mentoring over the past three years in particular as a response to some of the social and the political unrest um, as a way of listening to employees leaders have gone into this reverse mentoring space as well as lots of listening exercises etc etc but actually what the research then goes on to show and from individual one-on-one -on -one interviews that i've done with leaders and with individuals who have been mentors through my book I've learned that actually up front, there's a lot of work that you need to do to set the intention for the program. So what is the intention of the program? What are you going to do with that information that you gain? Is the company, is the business, is the leader at a position where they are willing to take action from what they've heard? And it's one of my favorite terms, which is don't be an organization, which is an asshole. <laughs> and by that, I mean, say that very clearly and deliberately an ask hole because there are lots of organizations um, who go out and ask their employees how are you feeling we really want to listen to you um, we're really intent on making a change but this it goes into this hole of the organization asking a lot from their employees and then not reciprocating and giving back in terms of we have asked you we have listened and as a result, this is now our revised roadmap. This is now our revised plan of action. Um, there is evidence of lots of listening. You only have to Google it to understand how um, many firms and businesses are really keen on saying they've come out with a new initiative or they're going to do some listening exercises or they've started this program. But actually what is really lacking is the action plan that comes out of those exercises and the commitments from leaders to then say, right, um, we have listened and now we are ready to take corrective and decisive action based on what we've learned. Um, and there's a whole couple of chapters in my book around how you take that forward and how you build that in and how you ensure that there is the environment, what's the infrastructure around reverse mentoring to make sure it's successful as a whole within the organization. So it's not just a one-off uh thing that somebody's doing or we're not doing a bunch of it but then doing nothing with it which of course is incredibly demoralizing um Absolutely. what do you you know one of the things i see uh around leaders learning something and then not doing something with it is that they don't like what they learned <laughs> right uh that it really challenges either their worldview or the path that they had charted. Um, 
and that they're going to have to make some serious changes if they're going to take what they learn into account and do something with it. I'm curious, you know, we, you talked a little bit about psychological safety in the container and setting it up, and I'm sure there's a, a whole lot that goes into that. In terms of the leader side, mm-hmm. what needs to be set up for them not to be assholes, for it to not be a vacuum mm-hmm. of learning, uh, but actually to create a deeper reciprocal relationship in the organization? So there's a few things that I think. The first is really assessing where you are in terms of organisational trust. So do you have an organisation or leadership team that is uh, has a reputation for asking and not doing things? Really being honest about where you are. I think over the past uh, few years, lots of organisations have had to kind of come to the table to say, right, OK, we're not where we want to be, um, but we are. we recognise we've got some way to go. And I think it's that humility of where we are on this journey, but also being decisive and committed to we are ready to make a change at this point in time because we recognise not only is it the right thing to do, but we we really want to do it. And I think we're going to see a real... We've already started to see it, right? As the um, as we come back to work after post-COVID, as things are starting to get back to... in as normal <laughs> those organizations who are treating their employees as humans and individuals as opposed to applying blanket policies for people to come back to work we're seeing that we're seeing that now we're seeing those organizations having to change and adapt to not necessarily because that's what they want to do but actually as an employee group as individuals we are now having our voices being heard a little bit more loudly and therefore organisations need to change. So when you say, what do we need to do? We need to have that level of organisational trust um, but also recognising where we are on that journey because if you've got really low trust in the organisation and then you decide to launch a a reverse mentoring programme and some listening exercises, you're probably not going to be met with a lot of employees who are willing to move on that journey with you given your history so it's yeah i think recognizing that is particularly important and i think you know all employees and organizations recognize that no organization is perfect but that humility and understanding where you are and may and recognizing that post audit of where you tried things before and why it didn't work but recognizing that you're not just going to brush over it and say oh we're going to do something new now because there's lots of organizations that just say oh you know they don't um, kind of continuously improve and post audit review some of the decisions or the processes that were happened in the past I think that's really important because that tells the tone of the culture of the organization so are you a learning do you have a learning culture do you have that continuous improvement drive are you consistent um, is it a shame culture like there's lots of undercurrents for the culture that you will see and be able to recognize once you look back at some of those decisions to understand actually we made that decision. Why did we make it? What group did it affect? Was it positive? Was it negative? What would we do differently next time? And really having that honesty about how processes worked is particularly important when we're dealing with human beings. Yeah. So I think that recognition and that humility is incredibly important. Depending on the organisation, um, I think the role of human resources is incredibly important to be that kind of objective in the middle um, to guide both the mentor and mentee through the process. 
but also I like to say HR is the organization's conscience, right? So they should be the ones to hold hold leaders to account, um, but also safeguard the employees as well. Now, so making sure we've got that. You aren't from HR, right? You 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 got trained in accountancy. <laughs> Let me tell you, I um, I did my degree in psychology and accounting. Okay. I have always had a deep, deep, deep fascination for people, and I did, I did have a, I did have a think about going into career in HR and psychology, but I have an obsession with structure, and so those are probably not the <laughs> probably not the things that are going to bring me the most joy. Right. So what I actually did was I trained as an accountant. Um, got very senior within finance, uh, about 12-year career in finance, started at PwC, and then about five years ago, I retrained as an executive coach. So I dived back into that psychology piece because um, it's always been a passion of mine. And I recognized that in my lifelong career, I could always move from finance into basically whatever field I wanted to move into, but I couldn't move from, say, HR into finance if I wanted to. So right. I think I've got a history of playing to my strengths, um, which is numbers and structure um, and people, but now I, I guess I'm just on a, a different uh, a different part of my career where I'm ramping up that people part. Here's what I so appreciate about you. So many of the folks that um, are called into paradigm change are what I call bridge people, meaning that we bridge worlds, you know. And, uh, like, okay, yeah, I'm over here in finance and I'm over here in HR. I studied finance and I studied psychology. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I knew the people that I came up with through the ranks, but I also interacted with all these senior leaders. Um, tell me a little bit about your background and your history. Like, where are the other places where you find like, oh, I'm in two worlds and I've had to learn to navigate and bridge worlds? How did that come about for you? Um, I think as a black female, you always end up bridging worlds because actually the worlds that you enter into from a professional perspective are really reflective of who you are. So I think very early on, I'd like to say I learned to shapeshift. Um, but I'm also, um, I'm an only child. I'm a Libra. Those are two things that are very important, which means that um, I'm able to adapt in circumstances and situations quite well. But also um, with that deep fascination of people and my obsession with structure almost, which I'm trying to let go of, by the way, um, I, 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 I'm introspective as well as uh, slightly extroverted as well. So I, I take the time to observe and reflect quite a lot which is what brought me to coaching that's that level of self-awareness that deep uh, curiosity to understand what make what motivates people what makes people tick is very important to me um and i've got a i love to create solutions and in order to create solutions you need to understand different perspectives i i and i think when you yeah, I, I, on, I, I appreciate learning about, especially being an only child. Um, <laughs> well, because I can imagine being an only child being very observant, right? Looking mm -hmm. at things, peeking underneath them, seeing how they work, and being around a lot of adults and learning how to speak adult, uh, if you will. Mm -hmm. And, you know, 
rising in, in, in your organizations just makes sense to me. Mm, that's a good point. Lots speaker dealt very early. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, what have been your biggest surprises? Because you've, so you, you, you did this first reverse mentoring ship with Craig, and since you, you've mm -hmm. rolled it out in the organization, yes? Yeah, so we did a pilot scheme with the senior leaders, uh, with the leadership team. We are due, we were due to roll it out to our senior leadership group level, and then we hit a blocker with COVID. So it's on the roadmap for us to do in 2022. But actually, subsequently, what really surprised me was, A, the pickup that it got with Richard, B, the pickup that it got with Ted, and then subsequently to Ted, l literally a week after the TED talk came out, I got an offer from um, Trident to represent me as an agent and they weren't, were really interested in me writing a book. And so this thing that I had done uh, to help leave a legacy within an organisation but also drive change um, to ensure that our organisation was representative and as inclusive as it could be led to almost this snowball of activity in regards to doors that open to me to have conversations with really senior leaders, um, with organizations that have invited me in to speak to their people about launching a scheme, the research that I've subsequently had to do for the book, my podcast on Dare to Lead with Brené Brown, one of my absolute favorites, um, and just the alternative path that this has opened up for me has been my biggest surprise and biggest blessing. So here's what I find fascinating. Uh, most of the people that I work with have a sense of a calling, right? And they come into my world like, this is my calling. And, uh, you know, part of my work is to help them package their work so they can bring it out to the world. Uh, mm -hmm. And then sometimes your calling comes and nabs you. <laughs> Mm. Right, like mm. you didn't go after this. Like I know I'm going to be the reverse mentorship person, right? Like that was not your life's ambition, and yet no. it's, you know, and it, and and being somebody that is so uh, 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 interested in structure, uh, having the universe just like, yeah, that's cute. Mm. How about we move you in this direction? Um, yeah. What have you been learning about learning going with where the world is taking you, even if it's not where you thought you'd be headed? So I guess without going into detail, my personal life had a bit of a like train truck hit it a few years ago, around about exact same time that this was going on. And I genuinely think this was the universe's way of... Uh, compensating me for some of the things that had happened in my personal life to say actually look this is you have to go with the flow because you don't know you don't know what the future holds for you I'm very spiritual and really deeply rooted in faith and whilst if you're going through it, it's really tough I also believe that the best is always yet to come and I also believe in the power of closed doors as well as, the, like, I always pray for those open doors, but really that power of the closed door and recognising, actually, when you're being directed towards something else. And so with my love of structure, like I said, I'm trying to let go of it because everything that I planned in my life pretty much got blown up. <laughs> um, 
but it's it's I think sometimes God looks down and laughs at me because he's like they say this but the saying in Jamaica which is what man has planned God has unplanned right so like you can have the best plans in the world but he's just got a different plan and um I think when I'm when I'm doing when I've been doing the writing when I've been having these conversations when I'm leaning into my coaching I really feel alive I really feel purposeful I know that I'm definitely making a difference I find it I feel like my brain and my soul collide to deliver really well if that makes sense I don't I feel like I, I genuinely feel like it's my calling and my purpose I and I guess my <laughs> I love I love how you just said that my brain and my soul collide uh, mm. such a descriptive way of, of speaking of that alignment. Thank you. It's important, right? Cause I think until you, you sometimes slow down and, uh, ref you slow down and you feel where you are, you are heading in life. Like I had this like super watertight plan and, um, I just have to chuckle sometimes because I just think, well, yeah, if I'd gone down that route, that wouldn't have really worked. And would I have been happy? I could have been a CFO would I have been happy? And I think it's it's getting to that point where you think, right, what's your legacy? What do you want to leave, leave in this world? What do you want to be recognised for? I think my coaching training really helped. It's probably better for me than anyone else because when you go through um, the coaching qualification and the questions that you you explore to ask your clients, actually the first person that you ask is yourself. Yeah. And you reflect on... You know, when you're in that rocking chair, uh, when you are 70 years old, looking out on the porch, what do you want to be remembered for? What are your, your poignant moments in your life that you're going to remember? Um, and really what matters, like what really matters at the end of the day? And, and if you can try and bring some of that feeling into your day-to-day -day life and day-to-day -day flow with the intention of what you do from a day-to-day -day basis, then it, it, it's not so, it's not incongruent with where you, you want to be. You know, your actions today shouldn't be too far away from where you want to be in the future. And there are some things that you, you need to do for a period of time in order to, you know, I would not be where I am if I hadn't started my career in finance, if I hadn't spent that time in finance, yeah. if I hadn't had that skill. Every single step that I took got me to the point that I'm at today. And that's how I know that I'm in flow. What would you say your bigger mission is? Like at, at, at a large scale, like what's the change you want to help make in this world? You ask, this is a very big question. I know it is. I, I think if you had asked me a few years ago what my mission was, I would say that um, my mission was to help people recognize that help people understand themselves better so they can be their best selves. So through from a purely coaching perspective, over the past few years, obviously, my voice has been amplified so much more in the space of reverse mentoring, but also being a kind of a black female senior leader within business as well. And with everything that happened kind of three years ago, and you started the podcast by saying this, I've really started to find my voice and use my voice for things that are bigger than, say, my organisation, right? So the great, too much, too much is given, much is expected. And I think with the voice that I have and the reach that I have, um, I have no choice but to do good in the world. And for now, that is 
exploring reverse mentoring and helping organisations use it as a tool, not just as a one-off, but as a tool to help build more inclusive environments. And that the conversations I have with businesses are around, some contact me to say, can you come in and do a talk? We want to do reverse mentoring. We've heard, it's great, we've heard your podcast, we've heard TED Talk, can you please come in and we want to do a pilot? And my challenge back to a lot of them is, where is the roadmap around it? Where are the interventions around it? We cannot have it as a single, singular intervention. We need to have it as part of an overall intervention. And one of my, um, one of my values and the things that I hold close is that I won't really be involved with businesses who are just thinking of just doing a reverse mentoring scheme by itself, because I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's effective. I think actually it does more damage than it does good for people within organisations, and that's not the legacy that I would like to lead within those organisations as well. Yeah. So there's a a piece there where I'm I'm really trying to hold organisations accountable for delivering on what they hear in those like those intimate conversations that you have. So what are you going to do with it? How do you build that into? How do you share that with um, ERGs, enterprise resource resource groups? How do you empower those enterprise resource groups from what you've heard? What change are you willing to bring to the table? And the great thing is the level of conversation that I'm able to have with these senior leaders, there is no one for them to say, oh, you know, they need to sign this off because they are the they. Yeah. They are the they <laughs> who, who need to get on board with it. And so that's been a really fascinating piece. And I think having the platform with Ted and with Brené and with the book and with, you know, the podcast such as your own, it's, it's spreading that message and really becoming a thought leader in that space of inclusive leadership, reverse mentorship as one of those pillars. And I, and I love the fact, I really enjoy and love working at Virgin. And I actually think it, it really helps me to be better at this other stuff that I do, because actually I'm not doing it from a external consultative perspective. Right. Actually, I have a real lived experience of how this plays out in the organization. And I understand from a first person perspective um, how things can impact both leaders around the table and people within the organisation. And that's something that I'd like to continue to keep because I think it keeps me relevant. Um, and it also allows me to have deeper levels of conversation. Yeah, and trust. The old Patrice would have said, no, you, you, you're in, you put yourself in your box, Patrice, and you can only do this. And like you said, I'm like, this is it, exactly. And so I love what you said, Jeffrey, around the bridging, because the bridging and the balance is something that I, I toy and battle with on a day-by-day, week-by-week basis of oh. making sure that I'm giving myself enough to this career that I've built up and established, but also giving myself enough to this calling that I have, which basically means at... 11.15 on a Tuesday night, I'm on a, I'm on a session are. with you. Here we are. Here we are. You know. Um, but it gives me life. It's I don't, it gives me life. I don't think this is a chore. I don't feel exhausted by it. I'm, I am, I'm fueled by it. Yeah. Here's and that's what, how you know. When you're here's what I so appreciate listening to you. And, oh, it's so good. You know, sometimes, uh, as I mentioned earlier, people get that aha, that, you know, voice from God or that voice from inside that says, this is what I'm here to do. 
And, mm-hmm. you know, that's the picture. And I'm going to go, go live that mission. I asked you about mission. And it's like, well, here's what's on my doorstep, you know? And it's almost like God saying, okay, all that control stuff, we're not actually going to give you the big picture. We're just going to give you turn by turn instructions, right? Like the GPS, you know, at 500 feet, turn left. Uh, And that really teaches any of us to be in that deep listening space coupled with action uh, Mm -hmm. that, you know, builds trust in ourselves, build trust in our path, and I think helps build strength in what we bring to the world. Um, So thanks for sharing your journey around that. Um, If somebody wanted to set up reverse mentoring, what are some of the keys or pillars or principles that you have them look at? The organizational prerequisites, I like to say, which is understanding where you are with that organizational trust. So um, looking at your old, your most recent employee engagement surveys and understanding perhaps, you know, I'm talking about corporations where who you do, or if you've got a smaller organization, really trying to have that one-on-one um, reflection point with the employees to understand where do you, where are you right now? Where is that level of trust? That level of trust is important because you're going to build on top of that to then figure out how far can we push this and how deep can we go given the foundation that we'd already set? Do we need to do some foundational resets before we start it? Um, or are we in a good position? Are we, do we have a platform that we can launch it from? I think that's particularly important. And that's where you ask yourself and your leadership team some really tough questions as well. And that uh, post-audit review, that continuous improvement, as I mentioned previously. Yeah. I think the um, role of HR, depending on the organisation, in supporting setting up the scheme from an objectivity perspective is really helpful. There's good examples of... Um, mentors being requested to join where you've got an organization such you know this happened with virgin in terms of a pilot you bring people in who you know are who want to be change makers who want to drive things forward um but then when you expand it a bit wider you don't want to be exclusive so you need to make sure that you are uh putting the call out far and wide for everybody to be welcome to have a voice within the program so really balancing that throughout really being clear with the mentees, and I call it assuming the position. So this is really flipping that um, power hierarchy around and ensuring those leaders are in a position where they are ready to have courage to dive in, vulnerability to obviously share their stories, as well as recognising where they could do better. And I think sometimes your personal do better versus your organisational do better. Big, uh, big be difference. Quite difficult big difference Um, being willing to step into that but also have leaders and senior leaders who recognize the importance and the value of diving into this relationship diving into this program because of the deep insight and you know everyone's talking about the empathy that leaders need now more than ever I mean it's not new is it but now leaders can't survive on it with you know that emotional intelligence that level of empathy is what people are now staying and recognizing with organizations now more than ever. So, you know, we used to talk before the pandemic about the Gen Zs and 
how um, there's lots of different things, you know, is the organisation uh, sustainable? What is the overall impact of the organisation with the world? You know, a lot more demanded of organisations when it comes to their wider social impact pre-pandemic, but actually post-pandemic, that is, you know, this is very stereotypical, but this is now applying to everybody because actually we're seeing how organisations have treated uh, groups of individuals and workforces um, during this period of time and, you know, life and death in the power of one's hands and actually what type of organisation do you want to work for who are going to safeguard, you know, your health and well-being or actually treat you as a number? So that empathy is the key piece as we kind of move through this and going forwards because never more now than ever are employees recognising that we could just very much be a number right? versus... Um, a voice you know uh years ago i was brought to columbia um to do some lectures and the people who brought me asked me to do a day with some political leaders and business leaders on the core wounds of the country um and i won't go into the process but the result was really getting oh the core wound is not being heard and uh the main guy who brokered the peace deal with the FARC, the guerrillas, you know, where there was guerrilla warfare for 50 years said, uh, told me this story. He said, you know, one of the things that really changed the tide of things and, and allowed for peace to happen is they had grandmothers write letters, you know, mothers and grandmothers write letters to kids and grandkids, uh, that were in the jungle you know, gorillas, uh, some who were their kids, but also like grandkids they had never met because they were born in the jungle. And they took these letters and they literally floated them down the river in bottles. And so these gorillas got these letters, not necessarily from their own mother or grandmother, but from somebody's. And it gave them voice, right? It had them feel heard. Uh, be heard. And and now they, uh, after that, as they said, we were starting a, a second round now that the gorillas were out of the jungle for them to write letters mm-hmm. back, which is wow. about being heard. And I think anytime, if there's one thing I, I see in our world right now in a more amplified level than I've ever seen it is people fundamentally not feeling heard and fighting for a voice, right? Mm. And I think we see it in, in mm. our politics in huge, huge ways in, in this country, in, in, in England as well, in lots of different parts of this world. Um, so at a, at a, if I just, you know, take the lens out from the specifics of reverse venturing, to me, part of what this is about is about setting up opportunities with people who have power differentials uh, that are different or any differences and creating space for those without voice to be heard. Um, And I think without that in our world, we're in for a world of hurt. So I'm curious where you imagine this can go. So we've talked a bit about the world of business. Are there other places you've seen reverse mentorship being used? Like what other industries or other applications do you see in this world? 
I think um, I've seen it work quite effectively in charities as well. So I think that's a really important space for us to ensure. And, and I think it's also with charities, the interesting part is around where do you change? Where's that distinction between charity and philanthropy? Right. So charity is um, what's the outcome and how do you, you kind of fix fix the outcome? Whereas philanthropy is going back to the cause, the root. How do we fix the underlying? How do we support the underlying change to drive change in this world? And so I think that's fundamental because when you listen and you have empathy and you can you, you could potentially use it in that space, I think that's really powerful. That's one place that I'd really like to see us dive into that a little bit more because actually the structural changes and the systemic changes that you need in the world would remove that aspect for charity but also but change it into philanthropy mm-hmm. so that's essential essential for me um i think i i call it reverse mentoring i mean it is reverse mentoring but i, I should have prefaced with you know the reverse part insinuates that you are giving the power to somebody else in that situation but actually my view is we all have equal power in this world in that we all have a voice that we can obviously there's people who actually hold the power keys but when we look at when we're put on this earth we are all created equal and how do we bring that equalization back it's really having people who are leading companies businesses free worlds recognizing the power of balance and bringing that balance back in and this is where i feel real empathetic leaders who recognize the value of bringing that cognitive diversity around the leadership team table or around teams to help drive better outcomes for the world i think is important have you explored this at all through the lens of coaching? Just at, just purely out of curiosity, you know, you've you've gotten into executive coaching and and gotten trained in coaching. Have you explored doing it, any of it in that world? And um, I have been asked to support some leaders who are going through kind of reverse mentoring. So really, just trying to get their head in the space of right. How do I? how do I take this knowledge a little bit further and what do I do with it? So I think, you know, when we talk about executive coaching, the real key for me is those leaders, those individuals, my my clients, they have the answers within themselves and I'm asking them the questions to pinpoint what they need to do to change their mindset or to get and drive change. The difference between that and reverse mentoring is actually what you're doing with reverse mentoring is you're gaining that perspective and lived experience from somebody else. And then you're trying to figure out, right, what do I, how can I take that information to drive better outcomes for not only that group of people, but also expanding my mindset so, so much that I'm not just thinking about things from my lived experience perspective and making decisions from that, but actually I can now bring in someone else someone else's viewpoint but actually now because I've got two points to triangulate from actually being more open and more curious to seeking those other points of triangulation so that when we do make decisions where you know you've seen it in the news right where some leaders or leadership they make decisions and and the end point is you know you've got a you've got a marketing campaign that looks like x and you're like how on earth 
did that marketing campaign get live past the leadership team, past the marketing, past the production guys, past the creative team? How did all of that happen? And you came out with that marketing campaign and you felt as though that was that was okay. And then the leadership team or the CEO then says, you know, we recognize. And they get egg on their face. Yeah, we're going to we're going to look through our processes and understand how this happened. Well, first of all, maybe look at the leadership team that you have around the table, because if you're all looking pretty similar, the likelihood is you've got confirmation bias there uh, and affinity bias. And therefore, you've got relatively low cognitive dissonance. And therefore, the decisions, even if you audit the processes, the likelihood is that you might make a similar (laughs) similar decision again. Right. Yeah. So. How do we untangle this and how do we break it? And I think it's that um, bringing in those alternative viewpoints. But, you know, the coaching and the mentoring piece, uh, the, the coaching piece is more around what is your EQ? What's your emotional intelligence? And how often do you seek difference? How often do you seek difference as opposed to seek confirmation from your leadership team? Yeah, because there's just so much that any one of us don't see. <laughs> Given, you know, how we were raised, the life we live, uh, the worldview we have, one place, yeah, one place that comes to my mind that I think this could just be brilliant is in uh, technology development, right? So, Mm. you know, for example, uh, with uh, opening your iPhone with facial recognition, oh, guess what? They found that uh, it worked far. It didn't work very well with people of color when it first came out, mm-hmm. uh, right? They they obviously didn't have enough people testing it that didn't look like them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you follow Tristan Harris's work, uh, who did the movie The Social Dilemma, um, but so much of it is about you know, the role of, of, of technology and, and its negative impact in our world. And I think so much of it, I, I used to work at Microsoft. I worked in Silicon Valley uh, and it's been a number of years granted, but I didn't see people that were out to destroy the world. I saw people that mm. were just like, they grew up kind of as tech <laughs> geeks, right? Went to Stanford yeah. or wherever they went. Uh, and got a job in Silicon Valley, and they just haven't mm-hmm. had to look through other lenses necessarily. So, you know, mm-hmm. to me, that's another place I could see this just being a really, really valuable thing in terms of the development of technology and how it could be more representative and support all of us in, in creating a better world. I think there's some really cool implications for where this can be applied um, and the impact it could have, you know, government and other place. Um, so I love what you're, I watched the, um, I watched that Netflix, um, program called coded bias, Mm -hmm. which is like, I watched the social problem as when I watched coded bias. And I think it's around also, um, it's having that representation at all levels. So it's, how do you open those doors, um, and gain interest and, open the doors, but also remove, more so remove barriers, remove barriers to entry and encourage that, you know, all organisations in utopia would be reflective of the people that they serve, right? Which is a very diverse global citizen that we have here. Um, And I think the recognition of 
of having that at different levels and it's going to take time for it to almost rise to the top but we need to increase that funnel at the start to make it not elitist or not to have so many barriers or make it clear what how to navigate this these technology worlds specifically i think because that's the future isn't it yeah yeah uh just a few more questions i'm curious when you look at paradigm change especially in the world of business which is which is you know where you where you live professionally what's your what's your vision or biggest hope for what business can become or what it needs to become in this world i think businesses have to take responsibility for participating and driving in social change because i think if you can participate in the profits of individuals then i think you have no option but to participate in social change over the past few years i think it's been more on some companies you know historically companies have said right okay you know policy around systemic changes etc sits with the government right that's government this is business and more and more over the past three years in particular, these worlds have merged together. What I have recognised is through COVID, um, no businesses, and I, I mean, there's a few businesses that are islands, don't get me wrong, those uh, trillion dollar businesses are islands. Um, but ultimately, we cannot exist on our own as businesses, we have to be an ecosystem. If I take the airline industry, for example, because it's been particularly badly hit by COVID, yeah. if the airline industry leaders hadn't joined together to lobby against governments all across the world, a lot of the, you know, I think the US airlines were very privileged to have a great support package from the government, which no doubt was because their leaders were particularly strong about what they needed. In the UK, slightly different, um, but still, in order to drive the change that we've had to do through the testing requirements, through the red, amber, green listed countries, through the support that we now need to drive the changes for our slot portfolio, we couldn't do that isolated as individual companies. Everything we do, we must stand together for something greater than our own profits, which is the industry itself. And I think as we move forward, companies and leaders have to get braver about what they stand for. And this is really clear because if you are not able to make a stand against something, then basically you're standing for it, if that makes sense. It does. You have to pick your you have to pick your battles, you have to pick your side. And um, I think the days of companies being able to say that's like I said, that's politics and that's not business, those days are past. I think we have to recognize something that's right you know even when it you know something that's more palatable to discuss aside from racial equity or any other kind of equity is gender equity for example right so gender equity when we look at that um across leading organizations is incredibly poor and there's lots of reasons behind it but yet still the facts are there and the facts are pretty clear as to how and why it happens but there has not necessarily been the corrective action there for us to balance that back out and actually this is something that you know lots of i always bring it back to gender because there's some stuff around 
kind of ethnicity, which is a little bit more difficult to track. But actually, gender is so much easier, and we still we know what the problem is. We've got the evidence. We still haven't collectively, globally tackled that or been able to, you know, really change it. But yeah. individual company by company, we can't do it. We have to do it as a coalition, as an industry. As industries need to come together to stand behind certain things to drive change, and we cannot do it all. That's for sure. Um, but we should be able to pick the things that we think are important. You know, in the same way as I feel sustainability and carbon, net carbon zero emissions, for example, is an easier thing to, it's more palatable and easier to kind of tack something onto that we're going to have a plan to drive this agenda. This agenda has become much more prevalent over the past, say, 10, 15 years, but we've got some other underlying systemic issues which have been prevalent for so much longer, but yet still we're not as decisive or as open about <laughs> uh, Yeah, well, and, and some issues don't require one to look at power structures and threaten power structures and threaten systemic uh, challenges we've had around gender or race or a number of things. Um, mm -hmm. Here's what I'm excited about. I'm excited about you being in this world and helping to build coalitions. Uh, you are a bridge person. Uh, you know, I love that. It, it's true. And just listening to you, it, you know, and even seeing that I'm still at version Atlantic and I'm doing this work, um, right. I I'm keeping my feet on the ground and I'm engaging in supporting other organizations and, in, in adopting some of this work. Um, it's giving you that real time experience of being in multiple worlds at once of building coalitions. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I really love your willingness, uh, whether you go kicking and screaming, <laughs> whether there needs to be a Mack truck, uh, uh, incident <laughs> or not, uh, to go, okay, I'm going to do this step by step. Uh, I'm going to listen. I'm going to follow. I'm going to do my best to lead. Um, it's it's really great. Uh, so thank you. Thanks for being in the world. Thanks for listening. Uh, if there is, yeah, absolutely. If there is one thing that you've learned that you wish everybody knew, what would it be? Oh, just one. I would say be. And I've said, I've said this all the time, but be grateful for the closed doors. Yeah. Be really grateful for those closed doors um, because you don't know where they're redirecting you to. And I think the closed doors really test a person's resolve, um, attitude, faith, um, general sturdiness within those closed doors. When you don't get what you want or what you think you want, those are the real moments where your 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 resolve and your personal personality behavior is tested, um, and really you know go through those feelings and look back at every single door that has been closed on you. And I think most people will recognize that the best is yet to come, and you hadn't quite reached it. And you know, if you'd got that, then you wouldn't have got that. So really, taking that time to look at not only the open doors, but the closed doors. And when it, when that opportunity comes up, something that I practice or try to practice is when I'm disappointed and I don't get what I think I wanted, 
is more live in the moment reflection. You know, I can throw my toys out the pram very, you know, for a short period of time, but really just trying to park it and then just, you know, not park it and move on, but understand, dissect it, try and figure out how did it happen, but recognise that, okay, we need to park that now because we can't move forward if we're dragging all that baggage with us. We can't. Yeah. So it's it's about going through it, letting it go, and then, right, okay, which is why I'm doing things one step at a time now. I love it. One step at a time. I love it. I love it. Uh, Patrice, I cannot wait for the book to come out uh, to share that with my folks. November 1st, we've got our, our pub date. Uh, so yes. we can have a party then. Until then, where can we find you? Where can we find you, follow you, stay in touch with your work and your voice? You can follow me on LinkedIn. That's Patrice Gordon. And my website address is www.mnere. So that's E-M-I-N-E-R-E.co.uk. All right. Beautiful. Uh, Patrice, thank you so much for being here, for sharing your work. And I, I can't I can't wait to see, to see where you go and, and what you have next for us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Jeffrey. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening in. If this conversation was powerful, if it stirred your soul or inspired your journey, then be sure to share it with a friend. Just copy and paste the link wherever you're listening to this podcast and text that link right now to a friend that you think would be inspired by this episode. And if this is your first time here, be sure to click that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and I'd really appreciate it if you'd leave a rating and review so I can get to know you and your thoughts better. To learn more about the work I do with emerging and established paradigm changers, go to thecourageousmessenger.com. That's all for today. Thanks so much for being here, and I hope to see you in the next episode.